You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Welcome home. Man, it is so good to have everyone here with us this morning, whether you're in person or joining online. And even before we begin the teaching this morning, I want to give a huge shout out to our volunteer teams that just crushed it in the parking lot out there. Can we say thank you? That was entirely volunteer-led, volunteer-driven. We have free Coney dogs, ice cream, Fago, if that's your thing, at 10.30 in the morning after we get out this morning. There's a bounce. Just The goal is to just stick around and have some fun and build community here this morning. And so as we begin, I thought it would be appropriate, since it's Welcome Home Sunday today, I want to throw a word on the screen. And when you see that word, I want you to just call out what comes to mind. And the word is this. Home, family, Wayland, mom, comfort, safety, Tim, bed, couple more, church, blessings. I'm really surprised nobody said the place where pants are optional. <laughs> That's my kids, I guess, at least. You know, when I when I think of when I think of the idea of home, I imagine it stirs up a lot of different things for a lot of us, right? Like for some of us, blessings and safety and comfort. But for others of us, maybe when we hear the word home, we think of something like longing or non-existent or homesick. Maybe for others of us, we think of words like identity and comfort. See, I believe that home is one of the deepest longings of our soul. In fact, few things in our culture, in our society, create kind of as much desire and angst and urgency and yearning as home ownership in general, right? Like people long for a home. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're looking to buy a home or you feel stuck in the home that you're in that it's a bad time to buy and sell or whatever that might be. Home can create yearning and longing for us. For others of us, like if you ask Gen Z right now, who's just entering the job market, like what one of the most important things is for them in searching for a job, they will say, I want to be able to work from home, right? Business on top, boxers on bottom. Like they want to, they want to be able, I'm like all into the no pantsing today, I don't know why. (laughs) They want to be able to work from home. For some of us, The place that we live, the place that we reside right now doesn't currently feel like home and there's this longing for us. My my brother-in-law, he actually last month set out on a three-month van-style road trip around the country and he lasted a total of five days (laughs) because he just wanted to be home. He, He longed for home. And yet others of us, the people we live with, don't seem like home right now. You know, my wife and I have been foster parents for eight years, and we brought kids into our home, and it was our home, but, but it was pretty clear that it, it wasn't their home as much as we tried to make it feel like that. 
The truth is home creates this deep longing in each of us because home is one of the deepest longings of our soul. And I, I love this quote from Jen Pollock Michael from her book, Keeping Place, about why we long for home so much. And she says this. She said, the biblical narrative begins and ends at home. From the Garden of Eden to the New Jerusalem, we are hardwired for place and for permanence, for rest and refuge, for presence and protection. We long for home because welcome was our first gift of grace and it will be our last. Why do we long for home? We long for home because God longs to build his home among us. God longs to build his home in us. One of his deepest longings that you can see throughout the entire story of Scripture is his desire to dwell, to build his home among and within his people. And so the question today is, why doesn't he? Like, why are there so many churches where you can look at them and it really doesn't seem like God is doing much of anything in that place? Why are there so many individuals, so many Christians whose lives you can look at and they really don't look all that much like Jesus? If God's longing is to build his home with us and among us, why doesn't he? Well, the answer's simple. It's because God doesn't build his home where he's not welcomed. And that's a hard truth, that God doesn't build his home where he's not welcomed. And as we've been tracking with the story of the Israelite people after they left Egypt, after they crossed the Red Sea and God does these miraculous signs and wonders and is bringing them through the wilderness towards a place of permanence, towards a home, a promised land, this theme of home comes up over and over again in their story. You see, it's in this moment, it's a striking moment right after Moses leads Israel across the Red Sea. If you can picture Moses in this moment... The afflictive, oppressive Egyptian army has just been drowned in the sea. And if you can imagine, he's probably taking a deep sigh of relief in this moment. And what does Moses do after he crosses the Red Sea and promised land is before him? He breaks out into a song and he says this in Exodus 15, verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. Pay attention to that word praise. We're going to come back to it in just a second. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. You see, the word that's used for praise, praise is actually an interesting translation of that word for this text. And if you have different translations, it's, it's translated as different things. But the word that's used for praise there is the Hebrew word navah. We have that on the screen there. Everybody say navah out loud. Navah. And the literal meaning of Navah is to build a home, to make a dwelling, to make something beautiful, to welcome someone home. And so when Moses is leading the Israelites across the Red Sea and the promised land is before him, the thing that is on his mind is, I will Navah God in my life, in the life of our community, in this people, we will build a home God. And of course, that's exactly what they set out to do. You see, today is Welcome Home Sunday. But Welcome Home Sunday is not about welcoming you home. 
And it's not actually about welcoming me home or any of us home. Before it's any of those things, it's first and foremost has to be about welcoming God home in our lives and in this place. You see, there's some things about this church that keep me up at night. Literally last night, I was tossing and turning around this one thing. Don't get me wrong, I care deeply that you would feel welcomed and that this would feel like a home for you. I care deeply that you would plug into a small group and really believe it's hard to feel connected to this community if you're not in some way contributing and involved and plugging into community with people. But those are not the things that keep me up at night. Don't get me wrong, I care that you serve and you give and all of those things, but those are not the things that keep me up at night. You want to know what keeps me up at night? Other than my kids and my dogs? <laughs> what keeps me up at night is that God would be building his home in my life. That God would be building his home in each and every one of your lives. And as a result, that God would be building his home in our church. That this would be a place that before we ever focus on being a welcoming warm place for people that we would first and foremost be a welcoming place for the presence and the spirit of God to dwell. Because if we focus on all of those other things first, if we focus on just being a welcoming place, we can create warm fuzzies in people, but no real transformation can happen. Like if we just focus on being a welcoming place for people and not for God first and foremost, unrepentant sin can linger underneath the surface and we just bat a blind eye to it. But it's when this place becomes a home for the spirit of the living God first and foremost, everything else begins to change. See, the natural outflow of a life that is filled with the Spirit of God, the natural outflow of a life whose home is God's presence is one of love and generosity and self-sacrifice and humility. See, if God builds his home here, we become more generous and loving as a result. We don't twist each other's arms to give and to serve and those types of things. Those are the outpouring. Those are in the very bones of the house when God builds his home here. And so what happens with Israel? As Israel begins to kind of move through the, move through the wilderness and, and God calls them to build this home, build this dwelling place called the tabernacle for him. Kyle did a great job last week of walking through the different elements of the tabernacle. And what I want to do today is I want to look at how God called his people to actually build this thing. How he called them to come together to make a home for him. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in Exodus. We're going to jump around a little bit today, but we're going to start in Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And then he lists a bunch of different materials, a mosaic of materials from every skill set, from every level of income, all of the things that he needed to come together, precious jewels and raw materials coming together to build this home for God. And then skipping down to verse 8 and 9, God says this, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, that I may make my home among them. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall 
make it. Every man whose heart moves him. Every person whose heart is stirred, God is inviting to make a home for him. And I love that the list of materials that he lists there are materials that rich and poor, farmers and artisans and people from every single walk of life, every single socioeconomic status can come together and contribute and make something beautiful for God to dwell. But there's two really important things that I want you to notice about this text. Two critical things for our church family. Number one, the first place that God builds his home before he does it in a community is in the hearts of individual people. Don't miss that. The first place that God builds his home before he does it in a community of people is in individual hearts. And even before that, notice that the leader of the community invites God to build his home in him first. Do you see the pattern? That the leaders go first, staff of new life. I'm looking at some of you guys. Leaders. And I don't care if you lead a, a youth small group or you're on our advisory team or your hospitality, wherever you may be, if you are in any kind of position of influence in this community, we go first. And that's not just to you, that's to me as well. We go first in building a home for God in our individual lives before we can ever expect him to find a home in our community. So that's the first thing, that he builds his home in individuals before he does it in a community. But the second part is when those individual lives come together, power happens. When individuals who God has found his home in their lives, in their own homes, come together, they become an unstoppable force. And that's ultimately what happens as Moses brings the people of Israel together, the people whose hearts stirred them. And notice, not every single person's heart stirs them, right? It's any whose heart stirs them. He brings them together, and they begin constructing this thing. And what happens in Israel is, quite, quite frankly, pretty out of character for Israel, Okay, They come together and they begin as a community to Navah God, to build a home for God. Skipping ahead a few chapters to chapter 35, watch what happens here in verse 20 and 22. I've got to turn there. Somebody spilled water on my Bible this last week, so it's very soggy right now. Not naming any names. Emery. No, just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't her. I don't know who it was. Verse 20 of chapter 35 says this. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came. Everyone whose heart, what? Stirred him. There it is again. Hearts being stirred. And everyone whose spirit moved him. And brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. Don't miss that. All who were willing. Not everybody's willing. All who were willing. Brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Notice how they're navying God, but God doesn't build his home where he's not welcomed. He builds his home among people, among those who are willing to receive him. You don't earn the presence of God in your life. 
You receive it from an open and a willing and a surrendered heart. And he gifts his presence. And what I love about this passage is you have all of these different people coming together and bringing an offering and laying down their items of greatest value for the sake of God to begin building his home and their community. And so here's what I want to do. I thought we'd put this into practice today. I know we got some diamond rings in the room and maybe a Rolex or two. We're going to just open the stage. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Chill out, okay? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But here's what's brilliant about the way that God builds his home in a church. It begins with him stirring your heart. It begins with him building his home in your life. And in this story, it's people from every walk of life coming together. We have people in this church from every walk of life imaginable. We have teachers, and we have farmers. We have contractors, and we have electricians, and we have tradespeople, and we have blue-collar and white-collar, and everybody in between. We have young people and old people, men and women, all coming together. And when God has built his home in each of our individual lives, and we come together wow, that's where power happens. That's where God is welcomed home in a community. And as I was just praying through this message, I began to just think to myself, what does a church actually look like where God has built his home? What is a community? Like, what are the markers of a community where God has built his home? And it took me to the New Testament where I began just kind of reading and I made this a list here, and I just want you to think about this for our community. A church, a community where God has made himself home looks like this. It's a church filled with people who lay down their preferences, their agendas. They don't over-spiritualize their preferences, but they lay them down for the worship and the sake of Jesus being the center of everything we do. There is a oneness and a unity. It is filled with people who actually fight for each other in this body, who fight for unity, who fight for oneness. There is bold, fervent, shake the gates of hell prayer in a community where God has made himself home. Constant communication back and forth with the Father. This bold prayer, not just like fickle prayers before a meal or because you have to, not that there's anything wrong with praying before a meal, but shake the gates of hell, a life whose fuel is prayer. Another one here is Jesus, 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 Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center, above everything and everyone else. Jesus at the center. Another one is love for one another, expressing itself in sacrificial giving, service, and sharing our lives with one another. Sacrificial giving, service, and sharing our lives together. Another one, using our gifts and talents and resources to build each other up, to build up this body. God gave you talents, not for you. Did you know that? He gave them to you for the sake of the people around you. He gave you resources, not just for you, but for the sake of the people around you. Another marker is it's a church where worshipers are gathering regularly to worship but they're not just starting their worship on a Sunday morning. They're continuing what God has already been doing all week long in their lives, and they're bringing that offering of worship to the community. They're not just waiting for the church to fill them up and then get empty, empty, empty throughout the week, but no, they're inviting God to fill them up every single day. Worship is their lifestyle. 
It's a church where it's safe to expose our own sin in the pursuit of holiness. Don't miss that one. Not self-righteousness, but holiness. Holiness where God has moved in. And we expose our sin for that sake. And then the last one here. Did I mention Jesus yet? At the center. Jesus at the center of everything. And when Moses takes an offering from the people of Israel to build this home for God, you want to know what happens? The floodgates open. They give so much stuff. They contribute so much stuff. They lay themselves down. They lay their lives down for the sake of building a home for God that Moses and the leaders of Israel actually have to tell the Israelite people, whoa, chill out, guys. We got enough. Can you imagine what it would look like if God opened the floodgates like that in our community? And I'm not talking just about physical giving and stuff. I'm talking about a laying down of our lives for the sake of letting him make his home here among us. Can you imagine? And so God moves in the hearts of all who are willing. That's the key for today, all who are willing. God doesn't build his home where he's not welcomed. He builds his home among people who are willing to welcome him there. That's where he builds his home. And so the question today is, are you going to be one of the ones in this community's whose heart is stirred to welcome God home in your life? Are you going to be one of the ones whose heart is stirred to welcome God home in your life? You see, there's a massive difference between a house and a home, right? There's a huge difference between a house and a home. See, a house is just four walls and some raw materials and some lumber, But a home is where you can move throughout and live there and use it how you want to and do whatever you want to to renovate it and to recreate it and to do whatever you want. There's something about home that instills ownership and comfort and safety and security. And my fear is that too many of us have just settled for God being a house guest in our lives when his desire is to build his home in our lives. And Israel... Where they stop, this is the problem with Israel, where they ultimately stop is they ultimately say, God, we're just good with you being a house guest in our lives. And so as a result of that, God sends one greater than Israel, the true and better Israel, the true and better Moses named Jesus, who was not just fully God and fully man, but he was also fully filled with the Holy Spirit Jesus, in human form, is the most home God has ever known in a person. Like, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that theme over and over. That Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, motivated by the Holy Spirit, driven by the Holy Spirit, has made his life home for God. You see, there's a difference between being a house guest and being home somewhere. When you are a house guest, you're invited in, you're invited to sit down, maybe you're told make yourself at home, but really, like, you still have to ask before you go into the refrigerator, right? If you're a house guest, at least the first time you're there. Like, you still have to ask where the bathroom is, and then you close the door and turn the fan on so people can't hear you doing your business, all that stuff. But when, you, but when you're at home, you don't even close the bathroom door. You have free reign over every area of that house. Just 
You have the ability to move where you want to move and do what you want to do in that house. So here's what I want to do. I want you to picture a house right now. Picture the front door of a house right now. Jesus is standing on that front door, on that front porch, not on the door. That's weird. He's standing on the front porch, and he's knocking. He's knocking. I want you to have this mental picture. And this knocking at the front door is the stuff of conviction. It actually says in Revelation 3.20 that he stands at the door and he knocks. And so Jesus is standing at the front door of your home, and he's knocking. This is where conviction happens. This knocking is the place where something becomes unsettled in your life, where you realize that there is sin, maybe, and brokenness, and stuff that you actually can't resolve in yourself. And so you hear Jesus knocking. You hear him standing at the door and knocking. And in this moment, you are faced with a choice to the point where you realize, you begin to realize, I can't do this on my own. I have stuff and junk and brokenness and sin in my life that I actually need something, someone better than I am to come in and help recreate. And so what do you do? You open the front door and you invite Jesus in. This is the place of salvation. Where you say, Jesus, you are welcome here in this house. And so you tell him to take a seat on the couch. To make himself at home. That he can even go in the fridge if he wants to without being asked. But here's the problem. The problem is this is where a lot of Christians stop. This is where a lot of cultural Christians stop. They think they have invited Jesus into their life. They think that Jesus has made a home in their lives, but all he really is for them is a house guest. He's just a house guest who's in the house, but he's just a guest in that house. You see, you, you walk into the back hallways of the house, and there are doors to rooms that are still locked still inaccessible, places in that house where Jesus has not yet been invited to fully make himself home. He wants to come in and he wants to do some redecorating, but you have settled for a version of Jesus that just says, come into my house, make yourself at home, but don't get too comfortable. And yet for so many of us, not for so many of us, for every single one of us, there are rooms in that house with locked doors. And behind one of those locked doors is unrepentant sin. Stuff that you've never brought to the feet of Jesus. You've never brought to the cross. You've hidden all your life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's selfishness or idolatry or a prejudice you hold. And so that door to that room is locked and Jesus does not have access to that room. And then you keep walking down the hallway and there's another door to another room that's locked that he doesn't have access to. And in this room, behind this door, is family history. All kinds of family junk that you've never invited him into. Family patterns and family beliefs and family traumas and family junk and generational patterns and histories of abuse. And that door is locked and he has not yet been invited to make himself home in that room. 
And then you walk down the hallway and you come to another door. And behind this door is all of the stuff that you value the most in this life. All your most prized possessions, your money, your treasure, your stuff. And you haven't given Jesus access to that room. Sure, he can have a coin if it happens to roll under the door. You can have some of my leftovers. But he has not gotten access to your most valued, prized, best. And so that door remains locked. And you continue walking down the hallway. It's a long hallway with a lot of rooms. And behind this locked door is your bedroom where you've locked yourself in there. And so you've invited Jesus into your home, into your house, but he's just a house guest, and you haven't really communicated with him ever since. But he sits there in your living room, and you've locked yourself in your bedroom, and prayer is non-existent in your life. You haven't learned how to open the door of communication with Jesus, to go to him, to bring him the stuff that you have, to bring him your junk, to bring him the stuff that you hide from the rest of the world. And so you just lock yourself in that room, and you don't communicate with Jesus. And then the last room that you come to, in this room, is a prisoner. And you're holding someone hostage behind this door because you have not released them in the power of forgiveness. You've kept them hostage. You've locked them away to never see the light of day again. And in doing so, you've held on to bitterness and anger and resentment. And you've contributed to the disunity in the church, in the community, by gossip and slander. And we thought the person we were holding prisoner in that room was someone else. But all along, it was just us. And to every single one of us who have invited Jesus into our house but have not invited him to make his home there, he has strong words for us. Not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I never knew you. You never invited me to actually renovate every single part of the house. You were never willing to, to let me build my home there. And when too many people in a church do that, God doesn't make his home in a church either, in a community of people. So it always starts in our own individual lives first. So Jesus is asking us this morning to not just invite him into your house as a house guest, but to actually welcome him home. God doesn't build his home where he's not welcomed. But when he's welcomed in, when we take this posture of Jesus, I'm going to throw every door open. I'm going to invite you into every room. Jesus, you have free reign of this room. Jesus, you have the power to recreate, to redecorate, to renovate, to do everything and anything you need to, to bring healing and wholeness and restoration and redemption to the darkest parts of my life. This is where he begins to make his home. You see, God doesn't dwell in tents anymore. He doesn't dwell in tabernacles made in the wilderness. In fact, there's a guy named Stephen in the New Testament, very first martyr, very first guy who ever laid his life down for the cause of Jesus. And it's Jewish people overseeing his execution. And this is what Stephen says in his final moments about how God makes his home. In Acts 7, he talks about the tabernacle, and this is what he says. Starting in verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness. So this is the tabernacle in the wilderness. 
just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. That's what we read, right? According to the pattern that he had seen. Skipping on to verse 48 now. Verse 48, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet Isaiah says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Do not my hand, does not my hand make all things? And then don't miss this last part. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, unwilling to let God move in. He's speaking to Jewish people, by the way, here. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You stiff-necked people. Pastors aren't supposed to call people that these days because it's bad customer service. And I say that very sarcastically. But I wonder if there's some stiff-neckedness in here. Some people who have actually actively resisted the Holy Spirit coming in and renovating their lives, making himself home, circumcising their hearts, transforming their hearts, transforming their ears, building their home, building his home in their lives, in all who are willing. As this was my story for many, many years. Many years. See, I invited Jesus into my house on May 5, 1993. But he was just a house guest. For like 30 years of my life, just a house guest. I went through the motions. I grew up in church. I went to a Christian school. I mean, my life was so saturated with Jesus, but all he was at the end of the day was just a house guest. And it wasn't until one night... January 22nd, 2018, which is not that long ago. I was a pastor at the time. And I was sitting in a conference. And there was a female pastor praying in tongues. Talk about messing with all of my theology in that moment, okay? I didn't grow up in a tradition where tongues or female preachers were a thing. And so here's this woman preaching, and she's praying in tongues, and God just broke something in me. He broke something in me, and I can't explain it to this day. Just shattered something. He said, Brad, I have been a house guest in your life for 30 years, and I want to build a home there. But you have all these locked doors, all of these rooms in your home that you have not given me access to. Behind this door is deep sexual sin and shame that you've never opened the door and let me into. Behind this door is anger and unforgiveness, and selfishness, and shame, and all the doors. Jesus was in the house, but the Holy Spirit had not made his home in me. And it was through a long period of counseling and processing and spiritual advisors and pastors and community, small groups. This is why we make a such a big deal about this because we don't go through this process alone in isolation where God began to swing open the doors and he began to say, Brad, I want to recreate this room in your house. And Brad, I want to recreate this room and I want access to this and access to that. And, and what you'll find in the process is this is where I begin to stir and heal and call you into purpose and do things that you can only imagine that I can do. 
but it only happens in all who are willing to open the doors. All who are willing to invite him in, to recreate. And it was actually this past weekend where my wife and I were in Nashville and we heard that same pastor speaking again. And after she was done speaking, the thing that God just laid on my heart, the thing that I just sat and I wept over, was God, build your home in this church. God, pour out your spirit on our staff. Pour out your spirit on Trent and Josh and Trish and Aaron and and everybody. God, pour out your spirit on our leadership and our advisory team. God, pour out your spirit in this church. Build your home here, God. May you convict us of the areas where you are not welcome. May we repent of the sins that we keep hidden away and and brush to the side and don't deal with. May we forgive. May we go to people who we are holding our hands around their neck and saying, I forgive you because God has forgiven me and that has taken deep root in my home. So here's what I want to do as we close this morning. I think we need some space to process through what rooms in our life are still off off limits to God. What doors we have closed. Areas where we have invited him to be a house guest, but we have not invited him to actually make his home in our lives. And so here's what we're gonna do is, as I close out this time, we're gonna leave just five minutes of space for you to process through this question right here. And the question is this, in what rooms of my house do I need to invite God to make himself a home? Maybe in this moment you repent of some things. You bring some things before the Father. You surrender some things. You lay down some things. Maybe this is the very first time you go to God in prayer. Maybe for you, God's stirring your heart to to serve and give and step out in different ways for the sake of other people in this community. Like you feel like God has made a home in your life, but your next step is to actually offer that life to others. And so we're gonna take just five minutes right now. And I want you just to pray through this question for your own life. And if you know somebody in here and you feel led to move somewhere else in the room and pray over someone or pray with someone or, or do whatever you need to do in these five minutes, that is completely fine. The floor is open to do that. But just right now, process in what rooms of my house do I need to invite God to make himself 